From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio, episode 29. Welcome to InsureTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is transforming insurance and about the people making it happen. We built the very first picture sharing app on the planet. This is in uh, 2006, uh, way before Instagram. Uh, we, we clearly built it too early. We, we had the right vision, but we grew to a million and a half users in about a year. And, you know, I, I got so skilled at using the network that the dev team uh, used to have me stop because I was breaking the system, right? I was taking it down. And so we had to throttle our, our growth because, you know, AWS didn't exist, right? You just, that, that wasn't the way it worked. This week, I speak to Ian Jeffrey. Ian is the co-founder and CEO of Breed Life. They are a software as a service company based out of Montreal that work in the life insurance space. We speak about Ian's life as an entrepreneur. He calls it the startup roller coaster. From his carefree days as a teenager, cutting grass in his local neighborhood, to the intensity of founding and exiting a Silicon Valley startup. I hope you enjoy. Ian, you're very welcome to InsureTech Radio. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Where are you joining us from today? I'm in Montreal, Canada. Super. Um, so you are the CEO of Breathe Life. Uh, can you give me just a quick snapshot of what Breathe Life do? Sure. So Breathe Life is uh, an InsureTech that is focused on enabling incumbents, so carriers and distributors, uh, to leverage uh, digital software to sell more products, uh, more of the insurance products, uh, in a way that is very, very modern, both for the advisor who is, is doing the selling and also for the consumer who is who's actually buying uh, the product. So it's a white label solution. Uh, that we sell into carriers, distributors, and, and banks. Brilliant. Cool. So we'll come back to Breed Life, I think, later on in the conversation. But I was really interested to explore uh, your journey as an entrepreneur, because I know you're no stranger to entrepreneurship. And in fact, I think you, you started quite young. Were you 12 years old? Yeah, it's a bit of a funny story, because my, uh, my father, and I, I think we may talk about this later, but he was a senior executive in a in a in an insurance company and uh all my life he told me don't don't ever start a business it's it's too much work it's too hard etc etc but when i was 12 i i um i wanted to i wanted to get a, a cd player this was the early days of of cd players so i'm 42 so it gives you a sense of <laughs> when this may have been and and uh, my parents didn't want to buy it for me and so uh I took my father's lawnmower and it's a bit of a classic story, but you know, I drove around town and anyone who had a long grass, I would knock on their door and, and offer to cut the grass for 15 or $20 or, or whatever it was. And I started slowly like that at age 12. And eventually I, I ended up doing that for like five or six years and having multiple clients and just, you know, never having the classic summer job that my friends had at McDonald's or, or any of those little things. And so that was my first taste taste of it uh, at a very young age. What did that feel like? Do you remember? I remember um, not, not really laughing, but maybe chuckling at, at my friends who were working at minimum wage and, and working, uh, you know, long hours, uh, you know, considering our age, of, of course, but like 
I was making way more money than they were uh, working much less hard. And that was, uh, that, that was a lot of fun for me because I, I had more time to, to do the things that I really wanted to do, which was, you know, be with my buddies and, and hang out. So it, it felt pretty good to, to have that flexibility and, and, uh, and be able to, you know, put some money aside and buy the things that I wanted to buy. Cool. And then like, how, how did that, um, entrepreneurial streak then continue uh, after high school and college and that yeah it's interesting i mean the we, i did the grass for a long long time and that eventually like in in the fall that turned into raking leaves and in the winter <laughs> in the winter then it turned into painting houses and you know just sort of like always figuring out um you know what what can i do to make a dollar and uh you know i i uh, i used to do small things too on left and right like I remember Guns N' Roses were coming to Montreal uh, and uh, I would I would find a way to buy six tickets and I'd sell five to my friends, you know, for a premium so I wouldn't have to pay mine. And I just, you know, I, I, I don't think I was ever out of line, but I was always trying to find ways to to, to either make money or, or, or not pay or, or stuff like that. And yeah, there's um, always one person in, in the in a group of friends who is like that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I was that guy, but I like to think that I that I was not annoying about it because you know, <laughs> the the reality is like you know I, I talk about getting tickets for Guns and Roses like obviously that that gives you a sense of how old I am, but but at the time like getting tickets for a concert like that you know before the internet was was a really hard task, and because I had access through my father or through whatever, I was getting these things that people weren't able to get. And so they were happy to pay, you know, 10 or $15 more to get the ticket yeah. and, and allow me to go for free. <clears throat> yeah. You're fulfilling a need. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was driving value, which is yeah, exactly. ultimately <laughs> what we're trying to do. Um, yeah. And I, I eventually, you know, as, as I was uh, getting older and older, like I eventually built, um, uh, well, some of my buddies were, were trying to be DJs, right? This is like back when uh, we were still scratching and, and doing vinyl and stuff like that. And sort of the, the, the beginning of like the DJ as a quote unquote celebrity. And, and my, my friends were really trying hard to to become DJs and, and they were struggling to get gigs. And I was like, I'll help you guys out. And, and so I actually created uh, a small production, event production company and you know, at first it was, you know, my two buddies who were playing and uh, maybe 30, 40, 100 people in the room. But that eventually led to us flying people in from Europe uh, to be their headlining DJs and stuff in front of a thousand people. And just, you know, I guess I've, I've always been um, willing to, to take risks and I've always considered them calculated risk. But always throwing myself into something that I that I know very little of, and just figuring out, and that's that's a big driver and, and a big part of why I do it. And one of the things that really struck me um, when I was doing my research of you was just like uh, how you described like the intensity with which you worked uh, in those early days, particularly in your in your twenties when you moved to Silicon Valley. Can you just describe like like what is I, I've never worked in Silicon Valley. What what is the the general kind of working environment like there or because it seems there's a bit of a machismo around uh working hard working the, to working the hardest or harder than, than anyone else yeah it's interesting so when i when i finished uh university a friend of mine 
introduced me this this thing called venture capitalist venture capitalism and I, I didn't really know what that was being you know someone in Montreal and he said he explained this concept about you know building a business from scratch and getting money from investors and sort of being in the, in in the, in the red for a long time and and going into profitability and all that and uh he really was excited about the way I was thinking of, of marketing. And he says, I want, I want you to move to San Francisco with me and build this business. And uh, I was really drawn by, you know, obviously building a business, uh, doing it in, in the heart of Silicon Valley. And so without giving it all that much thought, I, I picked up and I, I left. And, uh, you know, I, I left behind my, my girlfriend at the time was now my wife and the, father, the, the mother of, my two children but I, I left her behind for we decided that i would give it a shot alone i would move alone and, and if things pick up that she would eventually move over and so uh, what, what was your conversation like with her uh, when you were making that decision well the, the guy that that wanted me to move over he had been a very successful entrepreneur himself and and um i had met him in montreal because a lot of my friends actually worked at a business that he started here and uh, you know he he had like a magic touch he was he was you know a visionary and, and just really really good at at building big businesses and um you know he eventually left montreal uh and and we stayed connected and he he moved over to, to japan and he was working for for sony and running a giant r d studio and so wow. um you know i guess the answer is that you know, I, I wanted to follow him because I knew that he had built really successful businesses. And the fact that he was asking me to do it with him, I thought was very flattering. I'm like, wow, what, you know, this guy wants me to, to build a business with him. I, I kind of have to do this. And when I spoke to uh, Emma, my, my wife now, but I told Emma, I'm like, you know, this, we really, I really want to consider this. And she said to me, like, you know, I, I could never live with myself uh if 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 i'm the one who stops you from doing it so go for it and and if it works uh then i'll i'll come join you but because we had uh a mortgage in montreal and we had some things back here in montreal we we decided that was the best way to do it and so for about a year i was there alone um although i was very very lucky because she had she had a, a great job as well in the head office of her her job, she was working for North Face, the, the clothing brand, oh, and yeah. the head office is in San Francisco. So she found a way to come at least once a month to San Francisco, uh, and the business was paying, basically. So we, we did see it ourselves quite a bit. <clears throat> uh, but it was an interesting discussion, and uh, you know, I think it was one of the best, best, the best decisions we made because uh, you know, living in San Francisco and, and doing it you know, at, at the heart of where all or most of these things start um, was really, really an amazing experience. And, you know, I think we, we forget that um, Silicon Valley today is, is certainly not the same thing as it was 2006. And, you know, I'm sure it wasn't the same thing in 96 as well. But, you know, back when I did it, and when I moved, it was pretty much the only place you can get venture capital money, right? Like there was, you know, even New York had no startup scene whatsoever. Maybe Boston had some activity, but if you wanted to do uh, the venture capital route, that's the place you had to go. And that was the only place you could go really, or just about. And so that's why I did it, you know, to live that experience. 
What and was the business? So, um, as my, my partner, when he was in uh, in, uh, in in Tokyo, he was running a design studio for Sony, as I mentioned just just before, and they were they were looking at cameras. I mean, looking at uh, sorry, the the phone, right, mobile phones, and for some reason they had a camera on it, right, and and no one knew what the hell to do with it. Uh, but the phone started having cameras. They were VGA cameras, and no one really knew what to do with it. But it was there, and you know, people just sort of accepted that it was there. And uh, they came up with this idea of building a social network um, around sharing these pictures in real time. Because basically, you know, you're sitting with your friends, and you can take a picture, and you can share it, and and that that can create some some conversations and some interesting. Uh, dynamics and so uh, Sony Ericsson did not want to do the didn't, didn't want to build it themselves and so he he left and he said I want to build this thing I want to do it with you and I said sounds sounds pretty amazing so basically what we did is you know we we built the very first picture sharing app on the planet uh, way before Instagram uh, we we clearly built it too early we, we had the right vision but you know the 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 quality of the pictures was really low because it was VGA, VGA cameras. Uh, there was no such thing as data plans. There was no such thing as cloud hosting. Uh, the only way to get any type of distribution on mobile was through a deal with one of the big carriers. Uh, there was no such thing as mobile advertising. There was no app store. Um, you know, it, it what was year just, was this, Ian? Sorry. This is in uh, 2006. 2006, okay. Yeah, and so... Uh, you know, just to give you a sense of how difficult it was, you know, Instagram sold their company for a billion dollars and they had, they had an iPhone app, right? But we had 250 versions of our app because every device out there had different specs, right? So imagine, you know, you want to build a new feature on the app. Imagine how painful that was to port it onto every device. It was just, just a nightmare. And so, you know, we, we had the right idea. Uh, unfortunately, timing is something that uh, that is often the, something that you can't control. Um, yeah, like one of the one of the stories I remember of uh, Friendster was yeah. that um, there was just not enough computing power to yep. be able to do what they're trying to do, and that was one of the reasons why if it it failed ultimately because it was just a yeah. year or two too early. I, I, I can relate, right? I mean, I, I eventually AdMob came around, and a lot of people may not remember AdMob, but they were the first mobile uh, advertising network and when they came around uh, we leveraged the hell out of it like that was the way we grew we grew to a million and a half users in about a year and you know i i got so skilled at using the network that the dev team uh, used to have me stop because i was breaking the system right i was taking <laughs> it down and so we had to throttle our, our growth because you know aws didn't exist right you just that, that wasn't the way it worked and so, um, I mean, it was just a crazy, crazy time. And, uh, you know, we did, I mean, we, we, uh, John, who was a, a partner, he, uh, he raised, uh, Angel Round with Tim Draper and Joey Ito. And then the A Round was done with MDV and Jeffrey Moore. And we did our B Round, um, uh, with DFJ and, and, and Tim Draper. Like at the time, these were like, I mean, still today, they're, they're very well known, but they were like, the, t the cream of the crop of, of investors. The guns and roses of VC. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so to answer your, your, your question about the intensity of, of the valley, 
when I left Montreal, I, I left everyone behind. And so the only person that I knew was, was John, who was the CEO. And I didn't have any friends. I didn't have uh, any family. I just had the team and that was it. And so, you know, I just worked, worked my ass off, right? There was nothing else to be done but to work really, really, really hard. And so basically, you know, working seven days a week, you know, 10, 12 hours a day and just really grinding super, super hard to, to try to get as much done as possible. And, you know, today <clears throat> that type of behavior still exists in the Valley. And in fact, one of my, one of my pet peeves is that, you know, Oh, and by the way, not just in the Valley, it exists around the world at startups, but we, we tend to glorify that behavior and, and we, we glorify the people that do that type of thing. But, you know, I, I think it's extremely unhealthy. I think it's unproductive and I, I really don't think, uh, it's the way to go. And, and, uh, I, I think it's an addiction and unfortunately people, people wear, wear that as a badge of honor, which really, you know, it's, it's, it's sad. Like I just, I don't get it. Uh, you know, I've been there, I've done it. I know it doesn't work. And I'm certainly not saying that I don't work hard. Like I, I work way harder than I'd say 95% of all my friends, but uh, I'm working smarter and I've got time for my family and uh, time for, for my wife. And, you know, I'm, I'm in better shape than I've ever been. And, uh, and I think that puts me in a much better position to make good decisions uh, and, and to produce more quality, high quality work than if I was always fatigued because I was working like crazy. And you mentioned the word uh, addiction there. And like, what was, or was there a moment for you when you're like, oh God, I need to sort myself out? Like, was there a kind of a, a wake up call for you? Um, the, the truth is, it's, it's, um, it's probably more around when I had my second child. Um, you know, I, I had my first child in, in San Francisco and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this as, as a badge of honor at all. Like I, I, I feel like, um, I missed out on something, but you know, he was, he was born on a Saturday and, uh, on, on Monday I was back in the office, right? Like I, I didn't take any time at all. Um, to be with him in, in the very, very early days and besides like after work. Um, and then, you know, that was fine. I just continued, continued working like crazy. And then when we moved back to Montreal, um, I started the uh, first startup accelerator in Canada. And uh, we can come back to, to, to more detail on that if you want. But when my second son was born, um, I did I did a similar thing, which is, you know, he was born on a Monday and Tuesday was back in the office. And, uh, and, w and at one point I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm only going to, I'm not going to have any more children. I, I need to take the time with my children and, and with my wife. Like I need to, to really uh, take in these moments. And that's when I started doing things to, to change my life around because, you know, I was, I was, you know, gaining weight. I was, I was super stressed. I was tired tired beyond belief right I, I just i just knew that uh, something had to change it just wasn't right yeah it's probably like did you even realize how tired you were until like you got some actual rest no exactly exactly and you know to to give a bit of context so the the accelerator was a, a 12-week program much like tech stars or white combinator 
you know, very similar model to those programs. And uh, my my oldest son um, was almost three, and my wife was was pregnant, obviously, and uh, she was put on bed rest at about um, 20, 23 weeks. And by bed rest, I mean she could get out of the bed and go in the living room and not move all day. And so my days looked like wake up early in the morning. Well, wake up early in the morning, make breakfast for my son and my wife. She would lay down in the living room. I would make lunch for her, leave it there. I'd drive my kid to daycare. I'd work all day till six, go pick up my kid, come back, make make the dinner for everyone, put my kid to bed uh, around eight-ish, and then I'd work until like 1 a.m. or something or 2 a.m. And I did that through the, the, the entire pregnancy or pretty much of of, of my second child, and then when when uh, when I came when the program came to an end and he was born, just 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 at the end, I was just I was like exhausted, completely exhausted. And I wonder when when I hear those stories, like and normally you hear the stories kind of similar to yourself when people are reflecting back and they're there there's a kind of a tinge of regret in a way. But I often wonder though, is it? could you have achieved uh, the same results without that kind of intensity? Like um, what have your reflections been on that? I don't know. I, I, I get that question a lot. Like people say, yeah, but ha- had you not done that, would you be where we are, where, where you are today? And I don't know. I don't know. But like, yeah. I mean, to give you, you certainly wouldn't have the, you certainly wouldn't have the perspective you have now, which is yes, you know, equally true. important. I mean, just to give you a sense of, of you know, that, that, how that story ended about, about um, my second child being born. So the, uh, you know, the concept of the accelerator is there's a demo day at the end, as, as many of you know. And uh, so my son was born on the Monday and the demo day was on the Tuesday. So on that Tuesday uh, evening, I was, I was running the demo day, uh, you know, speaking in front of a crowd of about 1,500 people and just running the show. And when the show was over... I remember walking backstage and just like falling on the ground and just laying alone in the dark for like for like <laughs> half hour to try to try to decompress because the stress had just fallen from from like the the, the high intensity of the last uh, ten weeks or so. And um, is that that um, what's the name of that accelerator? Accelerator is called Founder Fuel. Oh, cool! Yeah, I I think you mentioned that in a talk I watched of yours. Uh, was that you had on your website something along the lines of, on the, along the lines of uh, give up your friends and family because you're going to work your ass off, something like that? Yeah, exactly. It was say goodbye to your your family, your friends, and your pets because you're going to work your ass <laughs> off. That was that was what the, a, what a tagline. <laughs> that was the tagline when I launched the program. So, and uh, is it is it still going? It's still going, and it's going very very strong, but. Uh, uh, you know, that tagline is gone, of course. And obviously, you know, when you go up in a program like that, you are expected to work hard. But but today, uh, you know, it's, it's run by someone else and uh, we've created some great companies through it. Cool. So then um, how did you um, transition then into your next startup? So uh, so when I came back to Montreal, I did, I did Founder Fuel, right? And I, I did that for three years. And uh, I did about 60 investments in, over the course of that three years. And um, one of the mentors that I had brought to the program to help out the companies is a guy, a guy called Dan. And Dan was um, was just starting up a, a company called Password Box. 
and uh, it was about managing passwords online. And so I, I was not a founder of that business, but I eventually joined him uh, just as he, he secured his A round. And uh, so I joined as, as VP product marketing. And uh, we, uh, so we built that business and we eventually sold it to uh, Intel. So in 2014 or so, we sold it to Intel, a very successful exit. And under Intel, uh, Dan basically took a bit of a step aside and I eventually became the, the general manager of the business for Intel and, uh, and had a team of, of 80 people. And, uh, and that, was a, that was a very different experience for me. Like, um, you know, getting acquired into Shutterfly was, was a big business, but it was about 500 people. But getting acquired into Intel with, you know, 500,000 people who work there or whatever the number is, very, very different experience. And, and running that was, a, was, you know, at times very frustrating, but at times, you know, learned a ton. And, uh, and, a, and about three years after the acquisition, uh, Intel shut down or, or sold our, our, our business unit to a private equity firm, uh, basically the McAfee Group. Uh, so the McAfee that you know today is, is it used to be owned by Intel and now it's owned by TPG and, oh. T, and TPG said, uh, or decided to shut down offices around the world, like many, many, many lo locations. And one of them was Montreal. And so one day I got a call from my boss, the EVP, uh, summer 2017. And he said, Ian, I'm sorry, but, uh, we're, we're shutting down the office in Montreal. You, you gotta, you got three months to, to wind down the business. And uh, I took that very, very, very personally. Although, really? uh, yeah, although, yeah, so personally that I, that I got shingles, I got sick. And wow. um, the truth is, like, I mean, again, in retrospect, you're like, the guy wanted to cut a budget. And, you know, that was the budget that he was going to cut. And it had nothing to do with me personally. Um, and so they, I got, I got sick. Um, but what I did that, I, that I'm quite proud of is I had 80 people, right, working. And so obviously I, I felt like I let them down and I, you know, they, they depended on me to, to get their paycheck. And, uh, and so what I did is I, I organized, um, a three month, um, uh, like, uh, job fair basically. So I called everyone that I knew in the city and that were running startups. And I said, I got 80 people here that are looking for a job between now and three months. And if you're willing to come in to lunch and, and buy pizza for everyone, uh, I'll let you, you know, pitch your business and talk about the roles that you're hiring for, and uh, and you can hire them. Just take any, anyone really cool. you want. And so, although I I had a mandate to wind down the business and and dispatch the business to uh, a team, uh, another team, you know, my priority was finding work for the team, and I figured I'll I'll figure out a way to to transition the code to someone else. We'll just we'll just make it work. And so, by the time we shut down the office, by the time I put the key in the door. Uh, there was two people of those 80 that did not uh, have work. Um, there was uh, one person who was a QA person who really wasn't sure uh, what she wanted to do. And she decided that she would take a bit of time. And, uh, and there was me. <laughs> but, I, but, I, <laughs> but I wasn't worried about me because I knew I was going to start something new. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Because it, it's such a win-win, you know, for those employees and also for those startups who, you know, are, are going to get good people to join small teams. Yeah, and, and people that have been through something that is that is not uh, not well, sorry, that is unique, right? Like there aren't that many people who go through an exit. And I used to tell the team, I'm like, one day 
you're going to you're going to either start your own business or you're going to you're going to work somewhere else and and you're going to be able to share some some pretty solid stories and experiences to people that have never had a chance to do what you've done what is different about working through an exit like if like if you're not say a, one of the shareholders of the of the business when there's lots of say legal stuff that you have to take care of for everyone else like what what's the experience of working through an exit like well, I think personally, I mean, in my business, and I certainly hope that it's the same for every startup, but everyone should be, uh, you know, everyone should have stock options and, and everyone should have some, some form of ownership in the business. And that certainly is the case in, in Breathe Life. Everyone does. And so if there is an exit, you know, everyone has a, at least some taste of the money. And depending obviously how, how senior and how long you've been around, you, you'll get more than, than others. But, uh, you know, having, been through the grind of you know uh starting from nothing and and mm-hmm. building something and and being able to attract an acquirer and 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 then transitioning from you know the 30 person startup which that's what we were at password box when we got acquired and then entering a company that has 500,000 people and you come in there super super bullish and like you know, you have a method of working and, and a way of, of looking at the world. And all of a sudden you get, you know, it's like, it's like getting hit like by a truck. It's like, all of a sudden, boom, like that's not the way it works anymore. <laughs> this is how it's going to work. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So there's a, you know, a ton of, of learnings and, and some good friction, some bad friction, but it's a completely different experience from, you know, the pre-acquisition and post-acquisition. And so having been able to see both sides, is quite unique, right? Most startups fail. And so uh, if you've been through it, um, you, you know, you, you, you learn from that and you, you become a, a different person for sure. Cool. Yeah. It reminds me, I, uh, one of my first jobs was I was part of a three man team in Dublin setting up the Irish business of an insurance company. And I noticed that as we were growing, it seemed like whenever we doubled in, in size in terms of people, there would it would kind of force like a rethink of how we all worked and how we engaged with each other and with our customers. So, you know, going from three people to six people, from six people, say, to 10, and then from 10 to 20, you know, it, uh, they seem, there are actually, you know, seismic changes in how we all did business. Did, did you have something similar? Yeah, for sure. Like we're, we're 40 people now at, uh, at Breathe Life and, you know, we're, we're, we're only two years old. And so you can imagine, how much, yeah. how different it, it is today than it was in January 2018 when we started this. It's, it's, it's a nonstop, uh, uh, you know, improvement cycle over and over and over again. And how did you find your co-founders? There's four of you, isn't there? Yeah. So um, three of the four, we were at Passwordbox uh, uh, pre-acquisition and post-acquisition. So two, okay. two of the guys were like in the earliest employees of the business. And so we've been working the three of us together for about six years. Uh, and their fourth co-founder um, is a guy who's from Montreal as well. Uh, but when I came back, he's a bit younger than I am. And when I came back to the Valley, he actually left Montreal to go to New York. And so he spent eight years uh, in New York uh, in a couple of uh, CTO roles and uh he always, just like me, had a plan to come back to Montreal. And so he kept uh, good relations with a bunch of people in the community, but I had never met him because we'd never been at the same time in the community here. And I was looking for um, for our CTO and, you know, 
because of Founder Fuel, I knew a lot of people in the city. And so I, I you know, I stretched a really, uh, how do you say, like a, a casted really wide and mm-hmm. all kinds of people I spoke to and, you know, it was, I wasn't finding what I was looking for. And, and at one point, one of the guys uh, that I know, he said, oh, um, a friend of mine is just back from New York. Maybe you should speak to him. And at this point, I'd, I'd been like maybe two months, maybe three months into like trying to find that, that special person. And uh, it really clicked. Like I, I met him. Uh, we had we had breakfast. And I think it was done like in 10 days. It was like, it was so fast that it was almost scary at one point where I was like, mm. am I making a mistake here? Or <laughs> have I have I seen so many people that that I know that this is the person? And so, uh, you know, he came in and uh, he he fits like because it's not an easy thing to, to happen, right? Like the three of us, we're at Password Box, we've been working for together for six years, and all of a sudden there's a new person in the mix, and he just he's just slid right in, and it's it's as if he was there six years ago with us. It was just really really wow. a, a fantastic fit. And with all the people that you met, like was it? Uh, I assume like they're all you know smart, capable, hardworking. So I assume it was kind of something outside of that that clicked for you. Like, can you could you describe what what that was? Yeah, I mean, I think um, th- there's a lot of things that I liked about 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 him. Um, one was, you know, the the intensity and the you know of living in uh, another city and, and figuring a way to to make it work in in a city like New York uh, and and. and being part of a couple of companies that really grew fast and having raised smart money. He had really, really tangible experience as a real CTO. You know, like even mm-hmm. when we, even when we started, like um, uh, we didn't have C level titles, right? Like um, I, I chuckle when people start a business and like, Oh, I'm, I'm a CTO and there's no developers in the team except for him or her. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I was looking for was someone who, was in it uh, for the right reasons um, uh, that had great experience and 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 wasn't doing it because it's cool to start a business, but because you know deep down inside that that's what he does, right? It's uh, and that is something that's hard to define. And um, yeah, I was also looking for someone who had just uh, same kind of values as as I do for for building a company, like you know I. I am, you know, you know, I, I really dislike the whole bro culture type uh, approach mm-hmm. that a lot of companies have. Uh, you know, I'm uh, that that's not about us. You know, like we have uh, our our desires to create a great work environment where people feel like they're accomplished and they feel like they're doing good good to the world, and that uh, that that our mission is 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 powerful and that. Uh, essentially, you know, our mission is to provide financial security to people around the world, and uh, and 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 that is sort of inherent in everything that we do, all the way from the the type of food we have in the kitchen to the way we talk about our sales to uh, the way we hire to the way we do our annual reviews. Everything is 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 uh, is aligned around that vision and that mission. And ha- that's interesting. So, like, give me an example on the sales side. So, how do you talk about sales that's different to the norm? Yeah. So, 
you know, we, we sell a software, right? And that software enables uh, people to purchase and sell uh, life insurance, right? And at the end of the day, uh, a life insurance product, you know, although it may sound boring, but it's a very important financial uh, fin financial um, product. And, you know, if, if I, I have great life insurance and if I were to pass away, uh, my family would be protected and, you know, the, the, both houses would be paid and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And so what we've created, we, we created a Slack channel that every time a policy is, is purchased through through our software, we get a no notification, right? So a policy was sold on this client or that client. And the name of that channel is called the impact channel. <laughs> right? like so, so, so what I tell the team is like, every time we sell a policy is a family, that's one more family that's protected. And so uh, that that's the impact channel. You know, it could, yeah. could be like the cash channel because every time we sell a <laughs> policy, we make more money, but it isn't, it's, it's the impact channel, right? So yeah, that's, that's cool. an example um yeah that's really cool and so like how did you go from like so your 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 first startup was or your first kind of vc uh startup was the you know the first ever picture sharing app on the internet how, how did you choose then insurance which you know it's a centuries old concept so where did that uh, idea come from well it's interesting i was i'm always been exposed to the life insurance world because my father was a senior executive at at a life insurance company, but you know, I saw him go to work in a suit and tie, and I said, "Man, that's not what I want. Never will I work in the insurance world." Yet, yet here I am. Um, and so the story is that uh, so when when uh, when I shut down the office for uh, for McAfee, I knew I wanted to start something new, and I had three 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 criteria that I was looking for. One was the first one was that I wanted timing to be right. You know, I I feel like with with Radar, the picture sharing app, we were uh, exact right vision, but just too early. And you know, there's many many reasons why it ultimately didn't become Instagram, but mostly it was timing. Uh, th the second thing I wanted was I wanted there to be uh, as crazy as this may sound, but a real business model. Um, like the picture what do you mean sharing, like the picture sharing app was like build a network and we'll we'll sell advertising and we'll figure it out later. I wanted oh, I, I wanted clients right off the bat, like someone paying us for the service immediately, and I I wanted to generate revenues. And it's it, I know it sound it could sound crazy, but that's what I wanted. And and today, like a lot of the businesses are more focused on that, but that's fairly new. And the third yeah, thing. No, it doesn't sound crazy to want to have a business model. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the third reason what, what, or the third criteria was something uh, that my, my, my kids would be proud of and that, that I can say I'm providing value to the world. Like, you know, you, you can say that a picture sharing app, uh, you know, creates like an emotional remote touch uh, amongst people. And, and you can say that uh, a password manager protects your identity online, but I wanted something bigger than that. And the truth is, um, you know, the, the life insurance space was, was brought to me by, by, by a friend. And he said, you know, uh, I, I've been thinking about the life insurance space and, and, you know, I, he's an investor and he said, um, you know, we're thinking of investing in this space and we have this one idea and what do you think? And I started doing some research and, uh, and after doing the research, I realized that it was, it was scratching every, every one of those itches. And so I, uh, I decided, I told them, like, I, I want to do this. And, and so they, they invested and, uh, and that was the beginning of it. 
Cool. And like the 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 what you're selling itself, like so your clients are like incumbents, so insurers and brokers and stuff. Did you ever consider a direct consumer play, or is it always going to be a um, a, a service that you provide to uh, incumbents? Uh, we absolutely did. the The original idea was to become a direct to consumer uh, life insurance brand, and so okay. we started uh, wanting to become a um, a ladder or ethos or, or, or any of those direct to consumer plays. And but in order to get those done, you still need to have an insurance carrier relationship, and you need to have a, a reinsurance relationship, etc. Yeah. And so when we started in January 2018, we started building the software and we started building the relationships. And between January and June, we realized that, you know, that that direct to consumer business may not be the right business model and that the real opportunity was with enabling the incumbents. And uh, and we heard that through our through the discussions that we were having and the market was just pulling us in that direction. And so that summer we we took a step back and we 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 looked at what we wanted to be when we grew up. And then we made that shift. And ever since we made the shift, uh, it's been sort of, a, it, it's been like a rocket. It's been really, really fast. And, um, and, and now we have nine clients. I mean, you know, nine may sound like a small number, but these are big, big organizations. So nine, mm. nine clients in 14 months of selling. Uh, I'm quite proud of that. And, uh, you know, we, we believe we'll be at least double that by the end of this year. Very cool. Um, Ian, I want to. I know it's near nearly lunchtime where, you, where you're sitting. Uh, I just had one last question. Um, a lot of our listeners would be working for incumbents um, and are trying to figure out this whole insure tech thing. And something I think about as well is how to think about uh, upskilling ourselves and making ourselves relevant. Uh, um in our current roles and maybe in future roles so like what advice could you give uh people who are working in incumbents now uh and how to maybe think differently about their jobs and uh how to manage their careers well i mean i i i love telling the story about how i've never been afraid to lose my job uh and, mm -hmm. and that applies both for you know when i started my own business but also when i was part of Shutterfly or, or, or Intel, I think that's part of the, the, the issue in, in the market in general, that people are afraid to lose their job. And, and, and because they're afraid to lose their job, they don't take risks. And, and innovating requires taking risks. And so I've been in scenarios where, you know, I've had a boss who's told me, you, you got to do A. And I was like, a is not the right decision. I'm going to do B and then being quite upset. But then when the results come in and B was the right decision, then, then, then I get the tap on the back. So I think it's, you know, with, with respect, of course, uh, making sure that you're doing uh, really high quality work. And, and the more you do high quality work, uh, you know, one of my early mentors used to say, just, just do great work and it'll pay off. And sometimes doing great work is, requires doing something opposite than what you're told because you need to trust deep down inside that it's it's uh, you're making the right decision cool i think that's great advice thank you My so pleasure. Ian, Ian, where can people find out more about you and more about breathe life so me personally uh linkedin is the best way to find me uh and then uh for the company it's breathelife.com fantastic 
Great stuff, Ian. Well, look, I'm looking forward to watching your company grow and grow. Uh, best of luck with everything. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on LinkedIn, and please visit our website, insuretechireland.org. See you next week.